Happy Easter. Welcome to Journey Church, especially if you're a guest here, maybe for the very first time. We're delighted to have you with us today. We've developed something around here just for you who are a guest. It's called Guest Central. It's a permanent fixture back there at the glowing blacklight sign after the service. You're welcome to swing in there. There are people, pastors and such, who would be delighted to answer your questions about Journey. If you just want to know more, if you need somebody to pray with you and such, just swing in there after the service. That will be open to you. One question, did you check your peeps at the door? Just one question. Did you check your peeps at the door? We, we don't care. We really don't care. You can eat your peeps. First of all, before we get really rocking and rolling, I want to tell you how grateful I am to those of you, literally the hundreds of you who are part of the Journey Church family who had a hand in making our Easter egg hunt, the events around that go so well yesterday. I stood out there yesterday morning on the athletic fields at Bozeman High School and I just scanned the throngs of volunteers and guests, almost 1,700 out there, by the way. And I just thought, this is an incredibly significant on-ramp into the life of our community. And just so we're all clear as a family that Journey Church will never ever be a church that exists just so people can flock into a weekend service, fill up chairs, take in nice music, nice preaching and file out the doors, see. Because since the very beginning of Journey Church, we've, uh, we're almost we're two and a half years old and since we started, we've existed to redemptively engage our community. That's why we exist to serve the community in which we're located, to serve our valley, to serve our region. And we have plans, great plans, to continue on that same trajectory. So I just want to say, way to go to all of you who helped make yesterday's events go so very well. Let's give those folks a hand if we could. Good job. It's a thrill to celebrate Easter with all of you today. And uh, I don't have to tell you this, that we're living in somewhat uncertain times, aren't we? You know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a lot of bad news coming down the pike these days. I know of a pastor who, Easter week, got a phone call from a friend of his who is not a pastor. And this friend said, you know, I would hate to be you this weekend. And the pastor didn't have any idea what his buddy was talking about. So he said, what are you talking about? And his friend answered, he said, well, you know, I don't have any idea how you can stand up in front of lots and lots of people this weekend and put a positive spin on this Easter deal when times are so incredibly uncertain. And i got to be real honest with you, it would take a whole lot more than just a few bad economic reports, a down market, an expensive barrel of oil, the R word being tossed around. We're not even supposed to say it, are we? Recession. We're not even supposed to say the word, right? It would take a lot more than all of that to dampen my enthusiasm for this day because we're here, see, to celebrate the resurrection, get this, the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one, the only one who lived a perfect and sinless life so that he could lay down his life as a sacrifice on a cross for all of humanity. Jesus Christ is, see, the great light of the world, no matter, no matter how dark, no matter how uncertain life might seem. He is the great light of the world. Just another question for you. Did you happen to notice this bridge? It feels like I'm standing on top of your heads, some of you. It's a really great bridge, and many thanks go out to the team who found this thing and then broke their backs to get it in here. Way to go, all you men. 
And this bridge is incredibly significant because we've been talking as a community for the past several weeks about the reality that Jesus' presence in our lives makes it possible for us to span the chasms that exist in our lives. We talked first about how Jesus is the bridge across the chasm of sin that exists between God and us. Since the very first human beings, their names were Adam and Eve, there has been this separation between God and humanity, right? We live with that separation. We're all keenly aware of it. And because of that separation, a whole bunch of us spend an enormous sum of time and effort trying to earn our way to God, trying to build our own bridge to God, one plank at a time. We're trying to be good enough. We're trying to do the right things. We're trying to somehow earn the favor of God so that he might... Just show us his favor. But the truth is that God saw that the whole build your own way to God path, the whole earn your way to God thing wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't going to work. God saw that the distance that existed between him and us was far too great to span that separation, that chasm that existed between him and us. And so every single one of us today, because and only because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can put down whatever tools we're using to try to build our own bridge across the chasm and we can actually walk across the bridge that Jesus became for us. We can have a personal relationship with God because of what Jesus did. Jesus is the bridge across the chasm of sin. We've also been talking about how once we step into a relationship with God, how God then gives us a very distinct distaste for the relational chasms that exist in our lives, the relational divides that we all have. Relational conflicts bug us when it didn't used to bug us. That's because God has given us, his followers, the very nature of a bridge builder. And he invites us to be reconcilers right here on the planet. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why we're here, to be reconcilers. God asks us to be the first ones to extend a hand of friendship, a hand of reconciliation with people who have hurt us, with people who have wronged us, with people who it feels like have crushed us, people with whom we have relational conflict. And even today, maybe in just hours from right now, You're going to sit down next to and across from people at an Easter meal who have hurt you and who have wronged you. For some of you sitting in this room tomorrow morning, you are dreading it because you have relational chasms at work. You have relational chasms at school. But get this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the invitation, the opportunity to be the reconciler in that broken relationship. To be the first one to extend a hand of friendship and reconciliation, a hand of restoration in that relationship. Because as a Christ follower, that's the nature that you carry with you. You have the very nature of a bridge builder. That is who we are. And there's one more very large chasm that we're going to talk about today that must be crossed, see. And that's the chasm from this life to the next life. And the end of this life, the life we're all living, the start of the next one, is a subject matter that we just don't talk about very much, do we? Death is a subject that causes all of us some uneasiness, right? Some of you filed past that pine box out in the hallway on your way in, and you like got real unsettled. You're like, what, what, what is that? Why is that here? You get real uneasy 
about those sorts of things. We get especially uneasy when we talk about death and the chasm between where we live right here and now and the next life, what's on the other side of this life. Death has been a very difficult reality for us to deny this week because it's been such a real part of our community, hasn't it? A young man in our church lost his dad this week. His funeral was yesterday morning, and so we're grieving with him and his entire family right now. And then our entire community, the whole valley really, has been grieving collectively over the course of the past week as we mourn the loss of a grandfather, right, and a grandmother and a grandson in a car accident, like right in the middle of town. And we go like, what is that? And no matter the circumstances, whenever death strikes, we're always incredibly shocked, aren't we? Which would actually almost be a humorous commentary if the subject matter weren't so serious, right? See, ever since the very beginning of time, the death rate has been holding incredibly steady at 100%. (laughs) 100% of people who ever live will die. But it's still a shock to us when people die, isn't it? We all carry with us this sort of chronic, low-grade denial about death. It might happen to someone else, but it's not going to happen to us. The Bible, though, in its characteristic way, lends us some help to our denial of death's reality. Ecclesiastes 8.8 speaks right to our denial of death. Follow along on the screens if you would. None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation. The Bible just comes straight out and says, death is a reality that we all have to deal with. It is coming our way inevitably. While there might be plenty of obligations in life that we can sneak out of, some of us do sneak out of life's obligations, don't we? Death is not one of those. Death is inescapable. And some of what fuels that denial for lots of us is that there is this profound uncertainty about what exactly is going to happen to us on the other side of this life. As with any uncertainty we have, it becomes much easier for us to just put it out of our minds and not to think about it. We put out of our minds questions like, am I really prepared to meet God on the other side? Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? How would I go about getting into heaven? How do I go about staying out of hell? Is there really anything after this life at all? Or is it just lights out? That's it. Those are all heavy questions. They're so heavy as a matter of fact that sometimes it's just easier and less taxing when we sweep thoughts like those under the rug. But I'm here today to tell you that under the rug is no place for such important, for such weighty questions. In John chapter 3 of the Bible, you can turn there if you've got a Bible with you today. John chapter 3, we're going to hang out here for the next little bit. We discover the story in John 3 of a man who cannot sweep away such questions any longer. He'd probably been sweeping questions like those away for some time, but something inside of him would no longer enable his denial. His name, you might know the story, his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a holy man in Israel, a holy man who had dedicated his whole life to the capital L Old Testament law and to the leading of other holy men. He occupied a very powerful religious position, but even in that position, he still has questions, heavy questions, questions that he's not even supposed to have, right? 
Questions that even his closest colleagues can't know he's asking. And in John chapter 3, we see that this man, his name was Nicodemus, he tracks down Jesus in the dead of night under the cover of darkness. He sneaks out. And Nicodemus, he didn't rise to the role that he occupied by being a dummy. Nicodemus was no dummy. He is, as a matter of fact, a smart dude, a really smart dude. So being a smart dude, he does what smart dudes do. He starts his conversation with Jesus by declaring everything that he knows about Christ, all of the cordialities of an introduction, and Jesus does not return the favor. Jesus leaves Nicodemus hanging. Instead... Christ jumps right into the theological deep end of the pool, promptly stumping Nicodemus. You can read the story sometime. And remember, Nicodemus is an incredibly smart dude. Stumping him would have been a very difficult task. And while Nicodemus was still reeling from the first shocker of that late night conversation, Jesus rolls right on with another mind bender. And the only thing that this incredibly smart dude, Nicodemus, can say to all that Jesus had said to him to this point is, you've got to be kidding me. How's that possible? That's a direct Greek translation, by the way. You've got to be kidding me. How's that possible? And Jesus answers Nicodemus' slack-jaw questions with the words of John chapter 3, verse 16. Now granted, Jesus did not call it John chapter 3, verse 16, at that time, right? The Bible didn't have chapters and verses then. It was still being written because Jesus was speaking, right? But when Jesus uttered these words, they were very simply 29 words inside of a much larger conversation with one of the leading Jewish rabbis of the day. But they aren't just any ordinary 29 words. Look at John 3.16. It says this, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, watch this, as a bridge. See. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. A bridge from this life to the life that is to come with him. All those questions that we carry with us about death. Those questions that sometimes cause us to live in denial of death. Am I really prepared to meet God on the other side? Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? How would I go about getting into heaven? How would I go about staying out of hell? Is there anything after this life Or is this it? All those questions that we have, they're the same ones Nicodemus had when he snuck out to visit Jesus. And Jesus answers every single one of them. He answered them for Nicodemus a couple of thousand years ago. He answers them for us in this one little or not so little 29 word verse. John chapter 3 verse 16. And with those 29 words, Jesus is saying so much. The first bite, for God so loved the world. Or the New Living Translation says, for God loved the world so much. Get that. That's you, and that's you, and that's you, and that's you. You get the picture. It's all of you. Let that wash over you. For God loved the world so much. 
It's every person who has ever been born, every person who ever will be born. Get this. God loves you. Now you might think that nobody loves you. Sometimes life feels like nobody loves you. But that is not the case. It's not even close to true. Because God loves you. And God's love, it isn't just some little unconditional love that comes and goes like different weather patterns when God feels like mustering up love for you. It's nothing like that. God's love is real, it's unconditional, it is unshakable, it is an unswerving love that does not fail, that does not wane, that does not recede, nor is it linked in any way to your behavior, your performance, or the color of your skin. God's love is the only love that never fails. Jesus goes on in John 3.16. For God loved the world so much, what did he do? That he gave his one and his only son. That is how far God's love went for you and for me. See, his love went so far that God gave his one and only son. Now, I love every single one of you in this room. I tell you that after every single weekend service that I close down, and I say it because I mean it. I love you. That's why I've made this my life's work, to do what I do, because I love you. I love people, all people. I also have two sons, okay? God had one son. I had two. Their names are Preston and Dylan. They're awesome. They're four years old. They're twins. And they're like a kick in the head. Sometimes they kick each other in the head. Sometimes I kind of want to kick them in the head. Now you heard me say, and you hear me say, that I love you, right? And I, I do. But you cannot have either one of my sons. And I mean that. You cannot have either one of my sons. You might come talk to me and you might have the worst thing in your world going on, but you cannot have either one of my sons for any reason. Like, I'm giving you my sons over my dead body, okay? And I told you I loved you, and, and I do, but I ain't giving you my sons. But that's not God, see? John 3.16 says that God gave what? His one, he only had one. And his love so compelled him that he gave him. And that word gave, it sounds pretty tame, right? Like we say that all the time, like, yeah, so-and-so gave me this, so-and-so gave me that, I gave so-and-so this, right? The word gave is pretty tame and pleasant, right? But listen, to what God gave his one and only son to. This is from a medical doctor who is a crucifixion scholar. Jesus died on a cross. He died by crucifixion. A crucifixion scholar wrote about that. He wrote, Death by crucifixion includes all that pain and death can possibly have. All that pain and death can possibly have. Horrible and ghastly dizziness, cramping, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, tetanus, shame, the publicity of shame, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of untended wounds, all intensified 
just up to the point at which they can be endured, but stopping just short of the point which would give the sufferer relief of unconsciousness. And then he goes on. The unnatural position of the cross made every movement painful. The lacerated veins, the crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish, not just pain, anguish. The wounds, inflamed by exposure, gradually gangrened. The arteries, especially at the head and the stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood. And while each variety of misery went on gradually and gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pang of a burning and raging thirst. And all of these physical complications caused an internal excitement and internal anxiety, this doctor writes, which made the prospect of death itself bear an aspect of delicious and exquisite release. See, God just didn't give his one and only son to like go on a picnic with us, right? God gave his one and only son to the most horrible, and I mean horrible death imaginable, death on the cross. Why? As the payment for the sin of you and me and every person who ever lived and whoever will live, ask the question why again, because he loves us. He loves us. That's what God gave his one and only son to. And Jesus goes on to finish John 3.16. He did all that so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved and God sent and God gave his one and only son to make eternal life with him in heaven possible. The alternative to eternal life with him in heaven. Jesus just sums up in one simple word in John 3.16. The word is perishing. And perishing is not a pretty picture, is it? And God doesn't want perishing for anyone. He does not want perishing for anyone. Neither do I. John 3.16 is Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, the one who would be laid down as the perfect sacrifice as payment for our sin. It's Jesus saying to all of humanity, look, eternal life is available to you, all of you. You can have eternal life with me in heaven. You can know that you have eternal life with me in heaven. You can be confident of the reality of eternal life with me in heaven. Why? Because my Father sent me, His one and only Son, to be the bridge who spans the chasm between this life and the next life. That is the crux of Easter. That's why we're here. We're here to celebrate the great news that by Jesus' resurrection from the grave on that very first Easter, he built the bridge to the next life and then he invites every single one of us to walk across it. Every single person on planet earth he invites to walk across it. Jesus constructed for us a bridge into eternity, a bridge into heaven, a bridge into life eternal with him. And because of Jesus' resurrection on that first Easter, because of the bridge that he constructed from this life to life eternal, we are able to live in confidence about what's to come at the end of this life. 
incredible confidence. Because of Jesus' resurrection on that first Easter, we are able to, instead of fearing death and dreading death and living in denial of death, we are able, watch this, to actually look forward to death with a sense of anticipation, with a sense of hope, with a sense of promise. But for that to happen, we must make a move. We can't just sit in our chairs. We must make a move. Max Lucado tells a story about an offer, quite an incredible offer, really, that he received. The offer read like this, free flight, Rio de Janeiro to Miami, Florida. He wasn't the only person to hear about the offer, but he was one of the very few who actually called the company who made the ad to request details. The courier service he phoned, who placed the ad, offered an airline ticket to anyone who was willing to very simply carry a bag of mail to the United States. The deal was very, very simple. Meet the company representative at the airport. You'll be given a duffel bag of documents, one airplane ticket. Check the bag when you check in for the flight. Retrieve the bag on the carousel in Miami. Give it to the uniformed courier representative who will await you just beyond customs. Simple, free airline ticket. Now, no company makes offers like that anymore. They can't. This offer was in 1985, years before we had to disrobe to get on an airplane, right? Max's dad was dying of ALS at the time. Airline tickets were very expensive. Max's checking account, these are his words, was as thin as a Paris supermodel. Free ticket, he said. The offer sounded way too good to be true. So, he walked away from it. He walked away from it. He walked away from it like so many people walk away from the promise, the hope, and the bridge of John chapter 3, verse 16. How many millions of people have read that verse and heard that verse compared with how many have trusted that verse? Perhaps they're wary of a catch. Maybe they don't feel like they need anything that much. They think they've got it figured out. Maybe friends have warned them to be guarded about those kinds of promises. Lucado goes on with his story, and he tells about how other Rio residents saw the very same offer, and they smelled a rat. Don't risk it, one man warned him. Better to just buy your own ticket, but he couldn't afford a ticket. Each call to his mom brought worse news about his dad. He's back in the hospital. He's unable to breathe without oxygen. The doctor says it's time to call hospice. So he revisited the flyer. He revisited the ad. Desperation, see, heightened his interest. Which is so often how it goes with the promise and the hope, the bridge of John 3.16, right? Your husband, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, asks for a divorce. Your wife, all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, approaches you and says, it's over, I don't love you anymore. The phone rings and it's the coroner on the other end of the line. The kids rebel. The economic house of cards that you've spent your lifetime constructing topples to the ground. Desperation, Lucado says, has a way of typhooning our world. It's in those instances when God offers a free pass across the bridge to eternal life. His offer calls for a second look. 
And it's in those moments when Jesus promised in John 3.16 just turns from a nice verse that you talk about in church on an Easter Sunday into the bridge to hope, actually. But some of us, we're still studying the flyer, aren't we? Still pondering the possibility, still wrestling with the promise of John 3.16, wondering what kind of fool would offer what Jesus is offering. The next, wondering what kind of fool would turn it down. But please, this time, don't walk away from the offer. This time, please don't take a pass on the offer. Because who else but Jesus Christ has constructed a bridge into all of eternity for us, a bridge into heaven, a bridge into life eternal with Him. Who else but Jesus Christ turned his grave into a changing room and offers to do the very same with ours? Lucado, he eventually called the courier company and he signed up for that free ticket to Miami. His wife drove him to the airport. He found the courier employee. He took the duffel bag of documents. He checked the duffel bag of documents and he settled into that seat, the free seat on that airplane. He later said, thanks to those courier folks, I made it to my father's death. I was there. And thanks to Jesus' gift of his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday, he constructed the bridge that makes it possible for God to be present at ours. See? I invite you, if you would, please, just to close your eyes and bow your head. Just use this time to speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind. You can do that now if you would. I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for the next few moments. Maybe as you sit here in this chair today, Easter Sunday, 2008, you know that you have yet to make the move to take Jesus up on his offer of John 3.16. We have yet to step across the bridge that Jesus provided to eternal life with him. I want you to know that you can settle that once and for all. You can go out those doors without any doubt whatsoever. And you can do that by simply acknowledging that Jesus and God love you immeasurably. That Jesus died on the cross to be the Savior, to be the rescuer of your soul. You can put your faith and your trust in Him as your Savior by nothing else but the blood he shed on the cross for you on Good Friday. And if that's you, if that's the desire of your heart, if you're choosing to do that today, you can express those sentiments to God by praying along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. 
God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. Today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin, what I did, separated me from you. But God, with everything in me, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. And God, I want you to be my friend and I need you to change me. I need you to clean my life up. Please, God. Today, I step across the bridge of your son Jesus Christ into life eternal with you. I make you the boss of my life. And that decision right there to give your life to God, to make him your savior and your boss, that's the biggest decision a human being will ever make. Nothing matters more, nothing carries more weight than that right there. And it's such a big deal, it's so weighty that around here we actually ask people to tell us when they made that decision. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me. I'm going to ask you to tell me that you made that decision to give your life to God, to step into life with Him. And I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around the room but me. But I'm just going to ask you if you would be so bold as to slip your hand up if you just gave your life to God then. Yeah, way to go right there. Way to go. Yeah, and back there and back there. Way to go. And right there in the front, way to go. Nothing will ever be the same with you. Hold those hands up so I can see them, would you please? I don't want to miss you. Yeah. And you, yeah, you guys right there. Way to go. I see both of you. Good job. Yeah, and you right there, man. Yeah, and you way back in the top of the bleachers. Way to go. Two over there. It's fantastic. Way to go. God, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, astounds us. We don't get it. How you gave your one and only son so that we could have life with you forever. We don't get it, but we receive it, God. We receive it with gratitude and with anticipation and with hope. We receive it. And God, we walk in hope. Not because of what's going on in the world, but because of what you've already done and what you're continuing to do. We walk in hope of the kingdom of God ever expanding. We walk in hope as we reconcile, as we're about bringing that which is apart together. As we trust you, as we obey you, as we depend on you. Our whole lives, God, make them as worship, please, pleasing to you. We're amazed at the gift of your son. Thanks that death could not keep him, God. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Our hope, our future. And we pray all of this 
in the risen, strong, powerful name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen.